What are you getting at? What's his angle? These are questions that come up when we aren't sure about people's intentions or their deeper motivations. Some people are pretty good at plotting and planning and getting the better side of a bargain. One of those people in the Bible is one of Abraham's grandsons, whose name is Jacob. Today's story is how Jacob became Israel. Welcome to First 15 Podcast, brought to you by Word of Prayer. I'm Ron, and I'll be your guide on this journey. Thanks to our regular followers for joining us again, and welcome if you're a new listener. We practice reading the Bible as we listen to God speak to us, meditating on His Word and then using the Scripture to pray to God. We take God's Word and turn it into prayer. Subscribe or follow the podcast if you haven't already. Let me take a moment to give a little orientation about our podcast. We've uploaded more than 150 episodes in our first two years. We started in January 2020, and the first 15 episodes, or the first season, were really chosen to demonstrate that you could take virtually any portion of Scripture, whether a psalm, story, proverb, gospel, letter, law, prophecy— and use it to hear God speak and pray it back to Him. In seasons two and three, we focused on two specific types of scripture that are especially suited for prayer and growing closer to God, the Gospels and Psalms. We took a journey with Jesus through Matthew's Gospel in season two, and then we prayed through a good number of Psalms in season three. Both of those seasons ran about 50 episodes long, and they were shorter episodes, approximately 15 minutes each, and we released them fairly frequently. If you're new to reading and praying the Bible, or if you find yourself time-pressed, those earlier episodes may be right for you, so I encourage you to go back and check them out. Season four saw us turn to New Testament letters, and in season five, we are working through narrative or stories. These episodes are longer, and they're also a little deeper. We're releasing them less frequently than before, and this is really so I can do my job well, and so that you can meditate on these scriptures and read more on your own, either to read the letters that we didn't cover or to get more into some of the stories that we just can't highlight. There is a lot of narrative in the Bible, almost half of the Bible itself, in fact. So learning to read narrative well will really pay off. In our previous episodes, just the one prior to this, we were reading about Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar in Genesis 16. If you didn't catch that, do go back and listen to the God who sees me. Abraham and Sarah do end up having their own son in their old age. His name is Isaac. And then he grows up and marries Rebekah, a relative who is from Abraham's former home called Haran. Isaac and Rebekah, in turn, have two sons, Esau, the older one, and Jacob. And from the beginning, these two boys are like night and day. Esau likes to hunt and be outdoors. He's ruddy, even red in complexion, and hairy. He's a favorite of his dad, Isaac. He's also pretty impulsive and apparently not that interested in his father's faith. Jacob, as a young man, likes to stay inside. He's a mama's boy, and 
he's really like a chess player. He often has a plan for getting what he wants, and he's a few steps ahead of his older brother. He schemes and steals his father's blessing that was intended for Esau. And then he flees from home to escape Esau's murderous anger at him. He lands at Laban's house, back in Haran, where his mom is from. And there he meets a knockout named Rachel and gets outmaneuvered by his own uncle and ends up working for Laban 20 years. In the process, he has two wives and 11 sons, and then God blesses him with many herds and lots of livestock and servants in Haran. Today, we're going to listen to the story from Genesis chapters 32 and 33 about Jacob, God, and Esau. Let's listen to God's word. Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. It's from our father that he's obtained all this wealth. Jacob saw Laban's face. His attitude toward him was not like before. Yahweh said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Those are the first few verses of Genesis chapter 31. We're going to skip now to the beginning of chapter 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, This is God's army camp, Machane. And he called the name of that place Machanaim. Jacob sent messengers in front of him to Esau, his brother, to the land of Seir, the field of Edom. He commanded them, saying, This is what you shall tell my lord Esau. This is what your servant Jacob says. I have lived as a foreigner with Laban and stayed until now. I have cattle, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau. He is coming to meet you and for hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and was distressed. He divided the people who were with him, along with the flocks, the herds, and the camels, into two camps. He said, If Esau comes to the one camp and strikes it, then the camp which is left will escape. Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Yahweh, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I will do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the loyal love and of all the faithfulness which you have shown your servant. For with just my staff I crossed over this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Otherwise he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. You said, I will surely prosper you. I will do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which can't be counted because there is so much. He stayed there that night and took from that which he had with him a present for Esau, his brother. 
200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. He delivered them into the hands of his servants, every herd by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put a space between each herd. He commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, Whose are you and where are you going? Whose are these before you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. And it is a present sent to my lord Esau. Behold, he also is behind us. He commanded also the second and the third and all that followed the herds, saying, This is how you shall speak to Esau when you find him. You shall say, Not only that, but behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And so the present passed over before him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. He rose up that night and took his two wives and his two servants and his eleven sons, and he crossed over the ford of the Jabbok River. He took them and sent them over the stream and sent over that which he had. Jacob was left alone and wrestled with a man there until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he didn't prevail against him, the man touched the socket of his thigh, and Jacob's hip socket was strained as he wrestled. The man said, Let me go, for the day breaks. Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, What is your name? And he replied, Jacob. So he said, Your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. And he said, Why do you ask about my name? So he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The sun rose on him as he passed over Peniel, and he limped because of his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel don't eat the sinew of the tendon, which is on the hip socket to this day, because he touched Jacob's hip socket in the sinew of the tendon. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and there was Esau coming, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children between Leah, Rachel, and the two servants. He put the servants and their children in front, Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph at the rear. He himself passed over in front of them all and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children, and he said, Who are these with you? And he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servants. 
Then the servants came near with their children, and they bowed themselves. Leah also and her children came near and bowed themselves. And then Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? Jacob said, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Let that which you have be yours. Jacob said, Please, no. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present at my hand, because I have seen your face, as one sees the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take the gift that I brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. He urged him, and he took it. We read the first few verses of chapter 31 in Genesis, just to set the scene. And then we skipped over 51 verses in which Jacob, his wives, his children, servants, and livestock all flee from Laban. Jacob and Laban eventually reconcile, and they make a covenant with each other. And then we get to this scene of Jacob preparing to meet his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen for 20 years. Now, when he left Canaan, Esau was steaming mad, ready to kill him. And Jacob assumes nothing has changed. Messengers tell him that Esau is on his way with 400 men. And so Jacob is afraid. He assumes they are mercenaries who are on their way to carry out a scorched earth policy of revenge on him and his family. In this story, key words and word plays in the story are very important. There are quite a few. Camp or machane in Hebrew is one of them. I translated it the first time or transliterated, gave it to you along with machanayim, which was the place name of that place. Camps is what it means. It's the plural form in Hebrew. And then after that, there's quite a point made about Jacob separating his considerable number of possessions and the people in his household into two camps. And he even emphasizes the point, I left Canaan with just a staff in my hand, crossed the Jordan, and now coming back, I have these two large camps of people. In other words, God has blessed me so much. God has been with me, clearly. Another wordplay is face or presence. And that's really the same word in Hebrew. Jacob claims that he sees God's face and he names the place where he wrestled with the, the man Peniel. And then it's carried over into the next chapter when he sees Esau's face. And he says, it's like seeing the face of God. So there's a big emphasis here on face or presence. There's some subtle ones as well. Jabok is a stream that feeds into the Jordan River. It actually flows from the east, from what is today Jordan, the kingdom of Jordan. And Jabok sounds like the word wrestle in Hebrew. So the artistry in these stories is really next level. And in the mix is also Jacob's name itself, which is Yaakov in Hebrew. Jacob means he grasps. And it goes back to when he was born because he's a schemer. He uses deception to get what he wants. But he also listens to God. He's both a sinner and a saint. And he won't make it out of this story without undergoing a name change. So Jacob makes elaborate plans for how to appease his brother and how to protect his most loved people and things 
if it all goes south. He's scheming right on through the whole story. But then in the middle of it all, when he's made all his preparations, when it's nighttime and he's got everyone settled down for the night into their two camps, then he prays. So I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, go back and look at Genesis 32 verses 9 through 12, because that's where Jacob prays. And in the midst of that prayer, he actually emphasizes the point twice that God has done him good. God has prospered him. And that's the meaning that he makes of what it means to be blessed and that God sees him, that he's done good to him. God has prospered him. And so he appeals to God to deliver him, to save him from his brother, that he assumes is out for blood, that he's coming back for vengeance. And in the end, it's really not Jacob's elaborate plans and schemes that save him. It's God answering his prayer. Because God has been working on Esau's heart over the years and softening him. But Jacob doesn't know that. And in a sleepless night, through a pretty mysterious and also wondrous scene at the end of Genesis 32, we get this picture of Jacob wrestling all night in an epic wrestling match with a man. And the text does call him a man, an ish. And Jacob is unable to pin him or to prevail in this contest. And then just before daylight, when the sun rises and it's no longer dark and he'll actually be able to see the face of this man, I put that in air quotes, this man who is really painted like an angel of God as well. And by the end of this scene, Jacob is calling him God himself because it's clearly a manifestation of God coming near into Jacob's life in a very personal way. Just before daylight, this man, this angel, has an exchange with Jacob that shows us several things. One, the wrestling match was really no match. The angel is able to cripple Jacob with a touch. Also, Jacob is still single-minded about getting the blessing, just like he was with Esau and his father Isaac. We didn't read that part of the story, but earlier on in Genesis, Jacob from young is really focused on getting that blessing, uh, wrestling it away from his brother Esau. He asks Esau to sell his birthright, which is part of his blessing and his legacy for a bowl of a lentil stew. And then later, whenever Isaac is ready to give his blessing, you know, before he dies to his son Esau, Jacob, along with his mom, Rebecca, scheme to take that blessing away to receive it for Jacob's own benefit at the cost of Esau. And here in the story, wrestling with this man on the banks of the river, the Jabbok, which all sounds a lot like wrestle. It's like a very close word play. Jacob is still single-minded about getting that blessing. What's really striking? He is blessed. In fact, his whole identity is challenged. His name from birth has been Jacob, Yaakov in Hebrew, which means he grasps. Another way to understand that is he's a deceiver, a schemer. And now he's given the name Israel, which means he struggles with God. He struggles with God. So he's been promoted. He's no longer just grasping 
for blessings and trying to get the best he can get from other people, from the situation. Now he is wrestling and struggling with God. Our schemes and plans, they look so well laid until God steps in. Jacob's story and his struggle is going to be lived out countless times over the centuries as God's people, Israel, struggle with him, fighting with him at times, desperately seeking his blessing at others. And I would say it's lived out even to this day among God's people. We wrestle with him, trying to understand his ways, trying to choose or decide whether we are going to embrace his will and his way of doing things, his time, or whether we're going to scheme and do it our way in our time. Let's pray to God using this scripture. God, you wrote this story and worked in it as the people were making their choices and decisions. You blessed Abraham and Sarah and promised through their seed you would bless all nations. You have worked through people who were loud and people who were quiet, people who were doubting and faith-filled, deceivers and schemers, simple and searching people. No human plan, whether all people united at Babel or just one individual like Jacob, who constantly seeking the upper hand, no one can prevail against your will and your plans. And yet, you do give us real choices and let us make our own decisions. Thank you, God, for showing us it's not human scheming that saves us but calling out to you in prayer, believing you hear us, and then you stepping in to deliver us. God, you know what we struggle with. Please help us. Help us to trust you and to walk in faith, even if we're limping, even if we're crippled. Let us enjoy your presence. Let us see your face. Let us be with you in each moment. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Jacob's story shows me my own tendency to scheme and maneuver, my own struggles to live and walk in faith while lapsing into self-deception. It's happened countless times in my life. And to think that I can go from seeing the face of God kind of encounter, like Jacob had at Peniel, to the very next moment, a scheming like there is no God way of hustling. Well, that's pretty humbling to me. We talk about going from a mountaintop encounter with God and then going back to the valley. And we'll see later that Moses has just that very sort of experience. He's up on Mount Sinai receiving God's law. He's face to face with God. He is enjoying the Lord's presence. Then he goes back down to the plain where the people are just engaging in sin and idolatry, and it's just a mess. The Bible is pretty unflattering about telling us that's the way it is with us. As human beings, we are so fickle. We can go from walking with God, enjoying his presence in the garden, and the very next moment, we're cozying up and listening to a serpent doubting and planting seeds of doubt and telling us, no, God doesn't really, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. Listen to me. Do what you think is right. Seek your own good. 
We've seen this already countless times, just in the space of the first book of the Bible, whether it was with Adam and Eve or Cain and Sarah and Abram and Hagar, Lot, Isaac, and others too. I think even more importantly, we've seen this in our own lives if we stop and reflect on it. God's story is one of grace and undeserved blessings. It's a story of truth triumphing over deceit and deception. To think and then act like we've got God figured out makes us act like tyrants. We seize hold of situations. We mistreat other people. We actually act out in self-defeating ways to our own ruin. God surprises us, touches us, renames us, never gives up on us. God is not absent, nor is he hidden. He shows us his face. And just like Jacob, we find out sometimes it's a terrible and fearsome thing to be in God's presence, but it also brings forgiveness and second chances, undeserved grace and blessing that surpasses all that we could scheme and dream up for ourselves. Struggling with God is good. Submitting to him is even better. Let me hear from you with a note about how you are being helped or impacted by this podcast. You can find us at wordofprayer.com. That's with dashes. As well as on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, reach out through our social channels. Um, our handle is Word of Prayer 1515. You can support our podcast by checking out our books on Amazon or browsing our Etsy store with products inspired by these episodes. For links to these, check out our show notes in the program description, or you can go to wordofprayer.com.